when we have this. And uh, you surprise me. You're here. And uh, that's that's good. We had a, considering all the craziness, we had a, if you weren't here, pretty good turnout yesterday. Not what we usually have, but it was all honoring to God. Just really glad to see you all. I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 1, Luke's version of the uh, the incarnation. Let's read. We'll start reading in verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, Podunk City really, sent to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Joseph was of the descendants of David, legally, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, the angel said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this statement, and she kept pondering, what kind of salutation this might be. Can you imagine? I blew her away. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. His name will be Jesus. What's that name mean? That name means Yahweh delivers, saves. He will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll be the greater son of David, the heir that was promised to be the ruler of the world. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. All other kingdoms do. This one won't be forever and ever. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Behold, even your relative, relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. That's John the Baptist. And she who was called barren, Elizabeth, is now in her sixth month. Now get this verse. It's the theme of our message today. For nothing will be impossible with God. Sorry, Mr. David Hume. It was a miracle. David Hume was the famous British skeptic philosopher. So there's no such thing as miracles. We're talking about that very thing today and its implications. Biblical miracles 
like the virgin birth, intellectually embarrass many. I hope you'll see it should never do that. A miracle, as C.S. Lewis defined it, here's his definition, which is pretty good, I think. An interference with nature by supernatural power. I can go with that. A miracle does not violate the laws of nature. Even if it did, I have no problem with that. It simply intervenes in nature temporarily in some fashion. According to skeptics and their tribe grows, miracles are impossible. Now, you want to know why? I'm not overdoing this. It's what it boils down to. It's because miracles are impossible. Miracles are impossible. Why? Because miracles are impossible. Is that compelling reasoning? We call that circular reasoning. And basically what they do, well, this miracle couldn't have happened because. This miracle couldn't have happened because. The resurrection couldn't have happened because. Because why? Because miracles can't happen. That's what it reduces to. I'm not overwhelmed by that. You shouldn't be either. Some some of you will know the name of G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton had been an agnostic. C.S. Lewis had been an atheist. He uh, later became a Christian and is one of the towering figures in modern English literature. His thinking is very subtle. He made this observation, which I'm about to read. It's on page 150 of his classic book, Orthodoxy. It's speaking of the virgin birth. You have to kind of track with this. Somehow or other, Chesterton says, an extraordinary idea has arisen, namely this, that disbelievers or skeptics in miracles, they are the ones who consider miracles, I'm paraphrasing slightly for clarity, Consider them coldly and fairly scientific. While we believers in miracles accept them only in connection with some dogma. In other words, our doctrines force us to accept. Actually, he says, it's quite the other way. And he's absolutely right. It's just the reverse. Believers accept them, miracles, like the virgin birth, rightly or wrongly, because they have evidence for them. That's why we believe in a miracle. It's not just because somebody gave us a dogma. We have evidence that these things are true. The disbelievers in miracles deny them, rightly or wrongly, because they have a doctrine against them. (laughs) And what's that doctrine? Miracles can't happen. This morning, what I want to do is consider some of the implications of the miracle of the virgin birth. The first one relates to philosophy and apologetics. 
that is the intellectual defense of our faith. The other one relates to the implications that impinge upon our everyday Christian experience. If nothing is impossible for God our Creator, then, number one, the biblical witness to miracles, for example, the virgin birth, presents absolutely and utterly no intellectual problem for us. Let me unwrap that. And you young people, because you get so propagandized, I hope you'll listen carefully. Inherit in the very idea of God is the notion of his omnipotence, that he is all-powerful. You say God, the biblical God, nothing is impossible. Just say God. That changes the whole equation. God is a God of unlimited power and omniscience. That big word means unlimited knowledge. God is by definition omnipotent, all-powerful. All bets are off when you say God. He possesses the power to do anything that one can conceive. Anything that one can visualize, God can do. The only thing he, we can't conceive are the things that violate the law of non-contradiction. Now, that language is not familiar, I imagine, to the majority of you, unless you've had a course in logic. In other words, God cannot make it anything black and white at the same time under the very same conditions. That is inherently impossible. God can't make a door open and shut, be open at the same time and shut at the same time under the very same conditions. We're not talking about things like that. With God, the only issue when it comes to miracles the only issue is not whether or not God can perform a miracle. Of course God can and has. But the only issue is whether he has, he has in fact performed those biblical reports and whether he does and will yet perform others in the future. Those are the only questions. To deny the possibility of miracles, think about it, is therefore to deny the reality of God, if you're logical. Because you say, God, miracles are no issue. Those who deny the possibility of miracles are consequently, whether they acknowledge it or not, they're at least functional atheist. If God is there, and of course he is, the power of miracles is there. It's only a question of whether the record is accurate. There's no question of whether miracles are possible. Once a person acknowledges God, acknowledges his existence, one admits the possibility of divine intervention 
in what we are accustomed to calling the laws of nature. Which, by the way, let's talk just a second about the laws of nature. People talk about those like something exists outside God and they chain the hands of God. That's a rather dumb idea. Actually, the laws of nature, as we call them, are just the regularities that our Creator has set in motion. He can manipulate them, intervene anytime He wants, and He has. There was once, I say once because he's now dead, a quite rich and arrogant man who lived in the same tower as my late brother Bernard in Naples, Florida. Like everybody else there was rich. His name was Carter. And since he lived just down at the opposite corner from my brother, I had occasion around the pool and elsewhere to have some conversations with old Carter. He was rich, but he was also arrogant. He attended a nearby liberal Presbyterian church where you don't know why they met. They didn't believe in anything. Anyway, he showed that. I tried one day to witness to Carter out by the pool. I got nowhere because he was arrogantly hung up on the impossibility of the virgin birth. He forgot to read that last verse. All things are possible with God. He just, the many miracles are so recorded in the Bible. This is really not that big when you consider everything else. But he was hung up right there. He was just a hard head. And his kind are familiar types out there in the streets and the schools and the business place, government, wherever. He just could not understand that the laws of nature, so-called, the regularities that the Creator Himself introduced, do not bind God in any way. Otherwise, whatever it is that binds God would itself be God. It is God who orders and God who suspends and God who manipulates the regularities of nature as He pleases and whenever he pleases. Indeed, the person who has the major intellectual problem when it comes to miracles is the person who denies the possibility of miracles. If God is there, that's a cinch. If miracles are impossible, Stop and think a minute. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm just astonished. I mean, far from intimidated, I'm just astonished at how intelligent people otherwise think. If miracles are impossible like the virgin birth, how does one explain the creation of the cosmos? And today we're seeing it exponentially. How in the world could anybody look at what is there? And now we're seeing it in lights we've never seen it before. How does one explain the existence of it? 
Where did the raw material of creation come from? Think about that. Just happened? How was all the chaos organized? And it is organized. We recognize today that the randomness is not quite so random. How does the cosmos sustain itself and coordinate itself in all of its almost infinite complexity? And if you don't think it does, okay, you're a mathematician, you're an astronomer, <coughs> you're into astrophysics, and you work at NASA or what's a place in California? I know it, but I'm too old to remember. Jet Propulsion Laboratories once had a friend who was a scientist there. How do they sit down and do all this math and send these lunar probes out here in these telescopes? Well, if it's so disorganized, how are they able to use mathematics and plot their course and make these things work out? Do you find something wrong with that picture? I do, and I don't think I'm too stupid. Can anyone tell me that they don't believe in miracles when they think all of that just happened? The virgin birth is nothing compared to all of that. The skeptic, in fact, proposes unwittingly the most preposterous miracle explanation of all. It all just happened by blind chance in a big bang. Give me a break. I have to tell you, I'm far too intelligent to believe in such a theory. That explanation is infinitely more unreasonable and more miraculous than anything. I might add, rather than proposing the chance creation it's like, I mean to say here, if I can read my own writing, which is a challenge. You think, what would you think if I got up here and told you that, oh, dummy, you left it. Oh, here it is. This smartphone. It's a heck of a lot smarter than any of us. I don't even know how to use it half the time. But some of you do. You're real good at it. And then you get it, these text things, and you go, tur, 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 tur. how you do that, I have no idea. Some of you kids can do, tur, 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 tur. dash on. But I told you after I see you do all of this, this resulted in an explosion or in a car wrecking uh, business. It just popped out you would look at me and say, how big an idiot are you? Yet they propose something much bigger than that. I've got it home. They're kind of out of fashion these days on a little desk right beside my home computer. A great big dictionary, about that thick. If I told you that resulted from an explosion in a printing shop, you would all wonder if I shouldn't be put away in Looney Tunes somewhere. 
if I went around saying stuff like that. Yet what these people propose, Darwinists propose, is vastly incalculably more miraculous than any of that. No, in this debate, I consider you and I the intelligent ones and others unthinking ones. So, if creation exists, then the creator exists. It's what we call intelligent causation. If God exists, then the only one who has an intellectual problem who ought to be red-faced is not you nor me, but the one who denies the ability of an omnipotent God, an omniscient God, an all-wise God to do what is otherwise impossible. On what grounds could one intellectually admit the existence of God, say God, and deny the possibility of that which is true by definition, an all-powerful God? If one denies the existence of God, they don't solve the problem. They merely move the intellectual problem from one port to another front. If God does not exist, then we are confronted with a massive intellectual puzzle. How can one explain the almost infinite miracles of creation and the universe on the basis of blind chance. I look at you, and I know a lot of you, and I know our congregation, a lot of intelligent people. I know you're far too intelligent to get sucked in. But because we hear it, 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 then after a while we get propagandized, then after a while what is most impossible comes to seem believable. It's not. Now, implications of this. That's the intellectual, the philosophical side of it. If God exists, and he obviously does, I just look out here every day and I see things like you see things. My eye, I've got two of them. Can you imagine that eye evolving? Can you even imagine such a thing? What would have been done in the meantime? Crazy. But if God exists, and he obviously does Monday morning, then I know that God is able to meet my and your needs. That God who created the universe and who brought about the virgin birth, who brought about in the womb of Mary, one who is Emmanuel, one whose very presence says God is with us. That God is able to create jobs where none seem available. He's able to heal. It doesn't promise that he will heal. That's not the biblical message. He will in the end when 
everything that has to do with sin, all of its implications are cleaned up. But he's able to heal when there is no cure known to man. He's able to deliver when there is no one to help. He's able to make what is insufficient more than adequate. That's my God. I do not say always like to say, I don't know what God is going to do unless he has promised it in his word. Faith is not me rising up and say, well, I just believe God's going to do this. That's not faith. That is not faith. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is. It's believing that God can do what he says he can do. And it is believing that God has done what he has revealed that he has done. That's faith. My faith is anchored to the word of God. My faith is anchored to a God who is omnipotent, a God who is omniscient, a God who is all wise, a God who has revealed himself in the scriptures. And I know that that God is able to meet my needs. It doesn't mean that I'll never have a tragic accident. It doesn't mean that I will never be seized with a sickness that will basically destroy my life as I have known it. It doesn't mean that I'll never be without a job. It doesn't mean that I'll be successful as the world counts it in the job that we have. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means that God can do what he says he will do. God is what he says he is. And God will perform what God says he will promise. And if it's for my good and his glory, Romans eight twenty eight, the things that happen to me all work together to accomplish that purpose. All things work together for good to those who love God. This God that I serve in Jesus Christ is able to meet all of my needs. Sometimes what I think are my needs are not my needs. Well, then this raises this question, this practical question. Then when God does not intervene and save the bacon, as I like to call it, it's not because he is unable, but because he is, yes, unwilling. In my course of my Christian life, just my personal testimony, I have to give a lot of illustrations, as you know. Some of them I repeat. But I just think, Aussie and I both just think, how many startling prayers we have seen answered, some almost immediately, some after years and years. God hears and answers our prayers. But there are others that at least so far, I'm still breathing yet, but so far, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. They're still out there. They're still on the altar with incense. They're our prayers. And God has not seen fit to answer those prayers. They he may yet. Then I may die before anything like that materializes. Let me give you some reasons because I'm sure in the course of a year, you pray 
and you're very disappointed sometimes because God doesn't intervene. You hear me or somebody else talking about these prayers that God has answered. But yet in your case, these things that are very important to you, he has not done. This is almighty God and all-knowing God and all-powerful. Why wouldn't God do what you feel that you so profoundly need done? Consider these things. Because sometimes he has a different appraisal of what our need is. You and I are so sure that we know what our need is. Anybody would know that's a need. We may need the agony of failure more than the ecstasy of victory. You may not understand that, but that's what a lot of people need, a lot of Christian people need, and very successful. A life is just going hunky-dory. Sometimes we need the agony of failure. We need to taste that more than the victory of ecstasy. We may need austerity more than prosperity. And the days in which we are living, you know the days that we're living in. I'm not so sure that these hurtful reversals are not in the wings. I am convinced that some Christians cannot prosper in affluence. That's not a new insight. I didn't make that up. All history has shown that. Prosperity, think American prosperity. Historically, prosperity has been a lot harder on Christian testimony, Christian witness, and Christian living than adversity. It has been said, not by me, but I believe it, but for the early Christians, persecution. The blood of the church is the seed of the church. That's what causes spiritual to flourish in their Christian life. See, God knows what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. Always hate to hear some of these cockeyed guys get up on TV and say, well, how are you doing, brother so-and-so? How did your church surge from eight people its first Sunday to 8,000 the second Sunday? Oh, well, we just we look at them and say, we just try to find out where the Spirit of God is going, and we just go with him. Jack, I don't know how to find that out. I just pray and go and let God show me where he's going. Sometimes I don't initially get happy about it. Anyway, we may need to learn to depend upon God more than any sense of a security or our sense of ability. We may need a broken heart. Yeah, we may need a broken heart more than a line of uninterrupted joy and laughter. We may need empathy. Some of us may have sympathy, but maybe we don't have the empathy we ought to have. We may need empathy for the weak more than to run with the strong. 
That helps the church when more of us have sympathy and empathy, compassion. It's for those reasons that God may not rise up and do what we think we need right now. Second reason, perhaps it's because he chooses to solve the problem. You can fill in that blank any way you want to. He chooses to solve the problem eventually through providential means rather than immediately through direct intervention, the things that come closer to what we call miracles. What do I mean by providential means? Providence is God working his will through conventional, normal things, you know, the human things that we don't think of as God's work. In other words, God sometimes works things through a conjunction of guided circumstances and influence and the wise application of human and material resources that he has placed at our disposal. Sometimes I may be by myself. Lord, do something. I need this. Oh, God. Kind of like uh, Joshua. Praying to God as as the enemies of Israel were taking him to school, killing him right and left. Lord says, why are you praying? Get up, you know what to do, do it. Sometimes the Lord wants us to apply ourselves. Just things that roll off my head. I'm not so hot on, although I'm highly educated, I'm not so hot on worldly education as I once was. But sometimes, Lord, I need a job. (laughs) Right job. Well, the Lord may say, get up off your duffer and go get an education and get equipped for that. Sometimes God puts means at our disposal We don't need to pray about those things. They're right there. Go do it. Don't ask somebody to deliver your lunch. Go cook it. You know, things like that. I've told this story a long time ago. There was a talking about God working through providential means. I was in Colorado. I was up in the mountains going to speak at a retreat. The hill came down this way. The road was narrow. I mean, it was a legitimate road, but it was a narrow road, a state road. And then it came down this way. And I was, I thought I was to turn off over here as we came down just about the bottom of that dip to go to the retreat center. So I was, I was slowing down, just doing what I ought to do. And all of a sudden, I found out later, a teenager was flying behind me. I'm normally a rearview mirror driver, but for whatever reason, I had my eye focused on where I was to turn off. And he went flying around me, and uh, he hit some posts over here, kept him from going over the side of the mountain. He was okay. I don't know how. And then there was a man who was coming down the hill the other way. He was in a Porsche. 
I don't know what speed he was going, but he looked me up. He said, who is the guy that slowed down right there? He said, sir, I want to thank you. You saved my life. He said, if I hadn't seen you slowing down, I would have kept coming. Providential means. God uses stuff like that every day. Not a miracle as we think of a miracle, but just things like that. So sometimes God has a different appraisal of what our need is. And sometimes he uses providential means. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers, the miracle working God. He doesn't produce a virgin birth symbolically because he's not ready yet. Your clock and God's clock are different places. You're on Eastern time. He's on Western time. Sometimes it's just like that. If I may speak of it this way, God's got a lot of balls in the air and working different things in the infinite complexity of his plan. Sometimes because intervention is unnecessary, what is needed on my part, and I've always got to examine that, is mid-course correction. In other words, persistent inaction on God's part from my perspective may be simply a strategic delay, but I should always consider this. I must always in these things examine myself and be open to the possibility that the message in the mix, the message in divine inaction, may be that the ball is in my court. Jim, you need to make some fundamental changes or you need to make a change. And the Lord may be convicting me about that. I've been stubborn. But sometimes by not acting, or to from our point of view, not acting, the Lord is sending us a message that change is in order. I think sometimes uh, things just pop into my head. I think I look saw a young person, so I think... Here's a young man or woman. Or it may be somebody else. It may be somebody a little older, maybe a lot older. They're lonely. And they formed a relationship that's not a good one, not a healthy one, not with a believer, somebody they're trying to make themselves think is a believer. And now things are starting to go wrong, and they're praying to God, Oh, God, help me. They're not to work out. I'm so lonely. I want this to work. Sometimes the Lord is saying, cut that off. That's not in your spiritual interest. That's not for my glory. Get out of denial and realize this is not what I want. Sometimes it's just things like that. Just another thing. Don't look for a divine bailout if you're lazy. Don't look for a divine bailout if you're irresponsible with your money. I know people, they're good people otherwise in a lot of ways. They love the Lord. We love them. How can they operate like that? So they go to a prayer meeting, men's prayer meeting, women's prayer meeting, and they go, help me. I'm getting 
the cupboard is almost bare. Well, don't expect God to bail you out. He may be saying, change your lifestyle. Manage your money better. Deny yourself. Do things like that. Perhaps he may withhold because we are testing him by asking him to verify himself on it or his promises, either because our faith is weak or it is conditional. God's never going to do that. If you're double-minded, deciding whether you're going to go with God or not, whether you're going to test, you're going to test God like Israel, and you're kind of saying to God, okay, you're, you're being tested. I'm trying to find out if, if you're worth serving. I'm trying to find out if you will, if you will step up or not. Don't ever think God's going to answer that call. Don't ever think that. You're not going to test God. You're all in or you're not in. Well, that brings up another point. I must hurry here. It is Christmas, isn't it? You might want to go home and open a gift or two or have dinner. So I will finish within the next 45 minutes. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm going to get there. So another implication of all of this, I should submit humbly to his pleasure in my life if God's this kind of God, and he is. Consider the implications of this miracle for Mary and Joseph. We sometimes pass over that. You think of all the slander that Mary was Mary was going to suffer. You think she didn't see that? When I start getting this little belly, what's going on with Mary? And in Jewish society, that was really, really bad. Do you think she didn't have a, she and Joseph, what did you marry? You think they didn't have a lot of pain and humiliation, having to run all the way to Egypt to escape the sword, things like that. The price of following the Lord, the price of that glory was awful was awful, and then Mary at the cross. She hadn't gotten it all at the cross, and there was her son after the flesh hanging on that cross, the blood probably dropping on her hands or her hair. You think she didn't suffer? We've got a certain kind of God we've talked about. What you and I need to do, this is the life of faith. It just say right here on this Christmas that the gift we're giving, we want to give, continue to give to God, is to totally submit ourselves and surrender to him whatever comes. I don't know what God's going to do. I know what God is able to do. I don't know what this day, this week, this month, this next year holds for me or you. But I know what God is able to do. And I know whatever he will do will all work together for good to those who love him. I know he's able to do the impossible. There's a story of a missionary. It's a true story. I once knew his name, but I don't remember it any longer. 
I'll say what's my name. Uh, he was, bad guys were after him. It was out in the jungle somewhere. They were really breathing down his neck. And uh, looked like they might have him in their sights. But he could go this way, he could go that way. So they didn't know where he was. Finally, he saw a little hole and he ducked into it. It's kind of a cave-like thing. Well, that wouldn't stop them. They'd look in there. He was hiding in there. But by the time they got there, a quick spider had put a little, a little not web, but just a little string down through there. And whoever was searching for it saw that little web. Not in there. If it had gone in there, that wouldn't have been there. So they moved on. God can do things like that. He can do anything. Don't know what he will do. I don't know what he wants to do unless he's revealed it. But trust him. So why didn't God just have the baby born a normal birth? Well, because it was a matter of prophecy. Isaiah seven fourteen. And God was showing his faithfulness and fulfilling his word because God wanted to confirm the supernaturalness of this child. His sign name, God with us, Emmanuel. He wanted his divine signature all over the circumstances surrounding this humble birth. A final implication. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, Many people come out for Christmas services for <clears throat> like our service last night. It's just kind of the thing to do for many people. They're not believers, don't intend to be a believer. As sad and tragic as that is, I want to say to you in all faithfulness that that virgin birth shows that your life can be changed and it needs to be changed. You are a sinner. You are lost. I know you think you're a good person. You're not even remotely a good person in God's eyes. I said remotely. That was not overstatement. There is none good. There is none righteous. No, not one. Not one. And you're among the not one. As all of us were not among the not righteous. What we all hear among one another call righteous and good, and all oh, they're just a fine person. That's not the way heaven is. You see, God sees the inside. He sees the interior. He knows every thought that's rolling around up there. We put up our defenses. We can look so good. We can be so plastic. God says, whoever you are out there, you're not good. You need a Savior. And that Savior is the one who came into the world to shed his blood for our sins. He can change your life. Finally, I repeat, there's no intellectual problem here. The real problem is sinful prejudice that blinds the mind and sends people in droves into hell. There is a heaven. There's a heaven. There's a hell. Count on it. Do not keep ignoring Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus.
Yahweh saves. Never forget that. Lord, the sovereign ruler of the universe, that's who you're dealing with. Don't trample in his blood. Don't trample in his blood. The Father in heaven sees that. He's gracious. He invites you to repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But if you do not, you're not waiting to find out the verdict. You are condemned already, even where you sit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to celebrate on this Christmas Day. Maybe not the day calendar-wise, but a day very close that reminds us of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh and the miracle of the virgin birth and reminds us that you can do whatever, whenever, as you please. We thank you so much for him. And we pray that you would move the hearts, move the minds, open the ears of those who may not know him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.